In just a moment, you're going to be able to hear from one of my peer heroes, uh, a woman that I admire. I think she literally may be the most courageous human being that I know. And I don't say that lightly. Her name is Kim Gardner. She's the circuit attorney, which is not a title you hear very often. She's the circuit attorney for St. Louis, Missouri. In other words, she's the district attorney for St. Louis. The title changes from city to city and county to county, but that means she's the local prosecutor. She was elected to office just four years ago. She's running for re-election, but she is the public enemy number one of the NRA, of Donald Trump, of her governor and attorney general, and really of the conservative white establishment. And when I say conservative, I mean Democratic and Republican there in Missouri and beyond. And we need to have her back. I want you to hear from her. I want us to support her. I want you to chip in and donate and volunteer and do everything you can uh, to help her win re-election. But I need you to hear from her. She's brilliant. She's courageous. And we need her in that office, changing it from the inside out. I had a chance to speak with her, and I'm going to let you hear the interview for the first time here on The Breakdown. Here we go. The the, the Breakdown. The the Breakdown. The the, the, the Breakdown. You know, you're like a, a living legend to us at Real Justice. You're one of the most courageous people I've ever met. You're under constant threat and and I, it's not a word that I throw around uh, you've shared with me even the daily death threats that you're getting just from doing your job and um, we we want uh, our audience to see you all and uh, to see you and, and know about uh, what you're doing there in St. Louis can you first tell us if you don't mind Kim why did you decide to run for this office uh, in the first place well, first of all, I just want to say thank you, Sean. I really appreciate you. I'm honored to to actually have talked to you, but never got to officially see you. And it's an honor and all the work because you inspired me to do this work. So why I um, decided to run this office is I was a former assistant circuit attorney and, and I lived in North City and I saw the devastation and destruction of violent crime, what that does to the communities. I grew up in a funeral home business where I'm also a licensed funeral home uh, director. So I saw how violent crime cuts off families Mm. and and cuts off opportunities. And when you see individuals in those caskets who are younger and younger and you see the hear the stories and you see the pain, what violent crime does to the families, that inspired me living in the community that has been plagued with crime to address it from a public safety um, approach. But when I went into the office as an assistant circuit attorney and I saw that we talk about the broken systems in the in the court system, but no one ever does anything about those systems. Even the judge, when you are sentenced at any period of time, a judge asks you about those broken systems. What's the highest grade level you completed? Most people are dropping out before the fifth grade. They'll ask you your health history. Most people have mental illness that you saw and lack of health access. They'll ask you, um, you know, the, the your job employment history. Most people had spotty to none job opportunities or job employment history. And we talk about these systems and then we say a long sentence or probation and parole is the only option for those individuals talking about those broken systems. And I felt like we could do it better. So that inspired me because we lose a lot of human capital to the the criminal justice system. 
and we have to do better. And it's ways that we can promote public safety, but we also can give people alternatives where we are, we are prosecutors and we have many tools and we should reserve traditional prosecution for those violent crime drivers. But there's a, a lot of individuals we can save from going further down the crime continuum, but we don't use those tools as prosecutors. And that's what yeah. inspired me to come to this office. Yeah, well, you've you've done an amazing job under incredibly difficult circumstances. St. St. Louis is one of America's greatest cities, but it's also having so many challenges um, from from poverty and deep inequity. And every one of those challenges comes across your desk every single day. Like I always try to introduce what you do by saying. In a lot of ways, you are like the local CEO of the justice system. And, you know, I, I see you and our staff at Real Justice sees you as kind of one of the shining stars in the space that you decided to go into the system and change it from the inside out. But there's something I saw that kind of frustrates me, uh, Kim, and I, I've only talked with you a little bit about this, but there are a lot of there are a lot of people doing good as district attorneys that are celebrated a lot and black women who are doing amazing jobs as district attorney often aren't celebrated nearly as much. Not only do you receive a level of opposition and we see this with Rachel Rollins, who is the district attorney of Boston. We, you and I have a mutual friend, Aramis Ayala in Orlando, who's, experience just constant opposition. How, how do you deal daily with two things? The opposition that you're receiving right now from, from the, the state attorney general, from other state officials, but how also do you deal with the frustration that you're not receiving the support that you really, I think you really deserve? How do you balance that? Well, first of all, it's the people of the city of St. Louis that that everyday people tell me they support me. They tell me, good job, keep fighting. So that's what keeps me going. Also, yep. my husband and my family, they keep me going, my, my strong network of friends. And my fellow um, African-American female prosecutors, we have a group that we support each other because we are the most disrespected individuals in this, this new line of work. The African-American um, Black female prosecutors. And it is a the disrespect is even now with through the president. And so it's this level of dehumanization that is so comfortable when the attacks on us are different than even our male counterparts, black or white, in this reform movement. But it 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 speaks to the it speaks to volumes that we have to have, you know, people stand up and call right is right as wrong is wrong. And these attacks of this dehumanization is is parallel to the dehumanization that takes place in the community went over policing and yep. over, you know, policing in communities that are plagued with violent crime and this perception that everyone in these communities are violent, the plague that everyone in these communities don't support law enforcement, plague that everyone in these communities do not want to feel safe. And that's the same attacks that we're getting as the first, you know, district attorneys in our jurisdiction. And my county is the city of St. Louis. So I represent the city. We have Wesley Bells in the county. That's right. He's called, he's called the prosecuting attorney. I'm called the circuit attorney. I don't know why I'm the only circuit attorney in the state of Missouri, but um, it's these levels of disrespect and dehumanization and invalidation that is so comfortable to challenge us 
when our discretion is, is looked upon differently, our decisions are criticized differently. There's a different level of vitriol that the president of the United States through William Barr, through Senator Josh Hawley, uh, through the attorney general, Eric Schmidt, former Eric Brightens, and we can, we can all name individuals and we can see myself telling me what to do in my jurisdiction, but it really is about the will of the people and it's usurping the, the voters. And that's what this is about. It's about um, silencing the people who put us in office to do our jobs and make the reform efforts. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I see it, Kim. And, and it, it frustrates me to no end because what I've come to understand is something that I didn't honestly know just four years ago. The job, even if somebody is the local district attorney, the local prosecutor, whether I, I've grown to understand that whether I like the job they're doing or not, it's an incredibly difficult job. And what you have to do every single day in that position, like I said, it intersects with, with every challenge that a city has from substance abuse and homelessness to uh, educational inequality to poverty. Every single day, your job and the, and the job of all of your staff intersects with all of those challenges. But in addition to having to deal with those challenges, for you to also be having so much pressure from the outside, part of what frustrates me about it is that for most of American history, conservatives have said they believe in local control. And now that a Black woman controls the local justice system, all of a sudden, they no longer believe in local control. The president wants to intervene. The governor wants to intervene. The attorney general wants to intervene. And part of the lesson that I've learned in that watching you is they never believed in local control. They just wanted a certain person to have local control. Because here now that you are running this system, they, they try to stop every amazing decision that you make on a regular basis. And you, you did something recently that I, I thought took tremendous courage. And there was a moment just last week where, almost two weeks ago now, where there was a demonstration of people who were so frustrated about police brutality and so much else, not just in St. Louis, but all over the country. And in the demonstration, uh, two homeowners uh, came out and pointed guns at people. And what I'm about to say may is not quite what some people are watching probably think I'm going to say, but you issued charges in that case, and that took courage. But you did something that hardly got any coverage. You offered a diversion program for the the couple that you charged and what they did what they did broke the law and i knew I, I you and i never spoke about this i knew as soon as i saw it i knew the exact statute that they broke you can't you can't bring automatic weapons out of your house and begin to use them in a menacing way pointing them at peaceful protesters but what nobody is talking about is that you offered them the same path to restoration that you try to offer everybody else on a daily basis. You offered a path to diversion. And I know it's an open case and you can't talk about necessarily details of that, but can you talk about how 
you you try to apply you try to apply justice equally if it's a privileged white couple or if it's if it's a young man who uh, lacks all of the access and wealth that that couple has. I, what I saw you do was offer them both the same way out of the trouble they found themselves in. I think once again, I believe in, you know, I believe in alternatives. I believe that we have as prosecutors, we make recommendations, recommendations every day. Um, I treat, this is still an open investigation, so I can't really go into the details of it, but I make recommendations like this every day. And these cases are no different than any other case. There was also two, another incident that took place. Um, there was a incident that took place at, by the Louis the Ninth statue where individuals were peacefully protesting and there was a, a, a fight. And I also offered that individual that happened that same weekend um, as an incident of the two individuals that you're talking about. And I offered that individual um, a diversion alternative also. And that's the that's what we and I, you know, I do that all the time. I offer the biggest diversion that, that ever happened in the state of Missouri is the former governor, Eric Greitens. I offered him diversion also. So I think when you look at what reform minded prosecutors are doing, we do this work all the time without fanfare or accolades. And this is I'm not going to treat anybody any differently, regardless of the type of media coverage of a case, because it's the right thing to do. And I believe that we have to look at, you know, the how do we evaluate cases where people who are not a threat to public safety, but they have to be held accountable? And how we do that is we offer different um, programs. And this is one of them that I've extended to both incidences. And it's up to, you know, the, the individuals and their lawyers to decide whether they want to participate in one of our diversion programs. And that's yeah, what, you we, know, what we do every day. I, I thought it... Um... In all the conversation about that incident, and that incident has got national coverage, I just thought the missing story was actually something beautiful that, just as you said, that you offered the same path to diversion. You know, you and I have some friends in this space that, particularly there, there have been now multiple Black women prosecutors who, in in part because of the pressure, decided not to run for re-election, and it really breaks my heart because I I've seen all that they all that they went through to get that position, only to be pressured so much, as we've said, from governors and other legislators in a way that we don't see happen anywhere else. You decided to run for re-election. But can I tell you that? Because I yeah. really want to speak to that. And I and I really am glad you're talking about that and give me a platform and say this because, yes. you know, a lot of people don't understand what we do. I mean, people think that it's a glamorous job to be the elected prosecutor of a city, of a county around this country. But when you are a black African-American prosecutor, you get attacks from so many different. And it's not that we're we can't take criticism or we can't take critique or we don't we're not you can't hold us accountable. But when you have individuals who want to call themselves uh, threatening our lives. You know, I have letters that they put on my car that says they want the KKK to string me up by the biggest oak tree. They mm. said that they want my the virus to take my last in breath. Um, I'm called all kind of bees. I'm called a Nazi, a communist. I've been put by the police union in my area, a caricature from the Grinch to stole justice. When you have attacks from not only the community, but you have the police union, 
the FOP, who makes who is the biggest and most aggressive uh, union that stops reform efforts. And then, by the way, you have to work every day with the police department that are a part of the police union. And when there's all constant, this uh, it's called the setup, the setup to make make it seem like you're not doing your job and make actual lies and say you're releasing people when we can't release people. You know, it's this fear of of fear of rhetoric that we're putting out the like the war on drugs and the super predator language we had and what is it the eighties and all that sure. type of language. It's coming back where it's the fear of the violent criminals being let out. The violent criminal. Well, we most of the violent cases in the city of St. Louis and around this country, they're unsolved, you know, right. because of the mistrust of the criminal justice system. But when we put on our line, when you have people's families who are in have death threats at people's schools and you're stopped by police and you're thinking that you're going to actually be one of those cases that you talk about, Eric Gardner, Breonna Taylor, because you are not immune from those stops. You're not immune from you, you somebody fear for their life because of you. Then you have to understand the level of racism and sexism that we deal with, that when people sit in complicit silence and then a lot of times people say you, you strong, you sign up for this. No one signed up to be um, to be tortured by right. this rhetoric of violence and to say that you're trying that demonizing you in a way that puts your life in danger. And I think people don't understand that people didn't sign up for that. People sign up to a job to do their work and to do their work the right way. And every four years, if you don't like the way that person is doing their job, you can vote that prosecutor out. But what we have here is we have individuals who are trying to take the power of the voters and characterized through the media in my local jurisdiction, because we are the training ground. See, everybody forgets that we are, we started the conversation of police, you know, uh, of brutality with Mike Brown. And we started the conversation that led to a lot of the elected prosecutors, now progressive prosecutors and Black Lives Matter movement. And so when you talk about that incident that happened, this is also the, from the president, they made this the anti-Black Lives movement also here. Yep. And I think that that's where we struggle with doing this work because, I mean, when just even with our budget, we're asked to do things that no prosecutor or DA in their office ever has to deal with. We're looked upon like we're a common day criminal. I'm the most investigated person in my jurisdiction. You know, uh, if I turn wrong, I'm going to jail. And I know that, but that's why. I, I love this work. I'm, I fight for the people. This is not going to make me back down, but I'm just giving a real um, inside look that even we are not immune from the injustices that you hear and see in the community because there's another type of injustice when you're in these rooms as the only African-American female, sometimes the only female in law enforcement, and you're fighting for what's right. And when people demonize you if on every level of law enforcement, from the U.S. attorney to on down, when you have people talking about doing the hard work, you have to break the ice of this dehumanization and this demonization that the FOP has basically, they make their money off of doing that to us. And there's, yeah. and now we have this issue with the Second Amendment, you know, which they're making this a Second Amendment type of situation in, in St. Louis, which is dangerous. Yeah, oh, I see it. And, you know, part of... Part of why we're here, Kim, is we want people to not only hear from you, because right now there are a lot of people speaking about you, but not getting a chance to actually mm -hmm. hear from you. 
And I wanted people just to hear your passion. And uh, I wanted them to hear from me about how much we believe in you and trust you. But you're running for re-election. And to me, I think it's one of the most important races going on in the entire country. It's it's hard enough to run for re-election while you're also in office. But I know it's hard to run during the pandemic. Um, what are some ways that people who are watching now or who may even be watching later, what are some ways we can support you? Uh, what are ways that people can go to donate to your campaign? Uh, and, and we'll share that not only today, but later as well. And, and, and when can people begin voting for you as well? Well, we can in, in St. Louis, we have early voting. So you can vote now or you can vote uh, in person absentee and you still can vote. I think this is the last day to get a ballot, turn in your ballot for absentee um, ballots or request an absentee ballot. But you can go to votekimgardner.com if you want to volunteer. You can make calls for me. Um, you can donate. Every little bit counts. You know, people like yourself helping me out, getting this word out about what's going on in, in St. Louis City, because this is going to determine how the reform efforts and movements of the prosecutor space continues. Because, you know, St. Louis, we're the training ground of the, the reform conversation. So if we take a reform out of prosecutor out, that's going to, you know, push back the movement around this country. Absolutely. And we want to make sure that we get people involved. And it's about the people. The people elected me to do my job. And it's really about the people. When I have to sue my city, it's not about Kim Gardner. It's about the will of the people and the status quo tacticians who, who have prevented me from doing the work that I needed to do. And But in spite of, we've done a lot of good stuff. So it's really people like yourself, you know, talking about St. Louis, talking about the issues, knowing that a lot of the lies and misinformation are put out is to cause fear, you know, and, and, and misinformation. We need legal scholars to really stand up and actually tell the right law and not um, about political bandwagging and, and characterizing a law that never been characterized before. It's a lot of people who are afraid because a lot of people want to keep things the same. And that's the unfortunate, but we have a lot of good people that just need help to stand up. And I have hope with a lot of the, the, the protests going around that we I'm on the right side of history. The young people out in the streets helps us do our job. So please keep making this movement, keep being on the ground because you help a person like me advocate and push more because I say, hey, the people want this. And you guys are making a lot of effort. So please, young people, keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting because we need you because you are making a difference. Well, well, Kim, we know you've, you've, you've got a, a life to live as well. So thank you for coming in here tonight with us after I, I know what was a long, hard day. Uh, after you leave, Kim, we're going to bring on uh, Chris from our team and we're going to talk to people about ways that they can continue volunteering for you and support you. Um, I just want to ask one final question. Kim, what are some things that you're hoping to accomplish in a second term? Can you talk to us about that? What I wanted to do is continue my prosecutor-led diversion programs, really expanding their restorative justice programs in the community. Um, we want to make sure we uh, formalize the Conviction Integrity Unit. Right now, we're looking at Lamar Johnson, which is the flagship case in the state of Missouri. Do we have the will to correct wrongful convictions? And does the, the prosecutor, the local prosecutor, have the duty to correct those wrongful convictions? So that's really important. We're going to continue to look at how we bring trauma-informed counseling inside our office to stop the cycle of victimization. We will actually want to bring a health system inside our office because I'm a registered nurse. 
So that intersection, we're like the emergency room, the intersection of broken systems to address the opioid crisis, the mental health crisis, the trauma crisis. We need to bring those services inside because that is what we need to do to actually have public safety and heal individuals from being safe and not going further in the crime continuum. I'm the first prosecutor in, in the, around the country to refuse to prosecute a standalone possession of marijuana cases, 100 grams or less. And I want to continue to strengthen um, cases, what, who we charge, what we charge, and what we don't charge, and actually have more community input in how we can bring community outreach centers to address the mistrust in the system so we can build trust. So when we have those crime drivers, we can hold those violent individuals accountable and we can move together in the community. And that's what we need. We want the community to be a part of the people's house and that's within the prosecutor's house. And the people have to speak about how they want to see healthy living and healthy communities in each community. And it's not just driven by us, it's in partnership with the community. And that's what I want to work on. Yeah, well, listen, you're like a superwoman to us. We know, we know you're a real life human being, but- Thank you. I, you know, I have forgotten already that you were a registered nurse and a funeral director. And yeah, so I can bury you and I can save you at the same time. So, uh. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, uh, listen, we're in your corner all the way. We're so Thank proud of the job you do every single day. Uh, it's, it was my honor to talk with you for a few minutes. And uh, when is the people can vote early now, but when is Election Day in St. Louis? It's August 4th, 2020. Please vote August 4th. Come out. You know, you know, people in the city of St. Louis, even if you know people in the county, tell they know somebody in the city, please come out and vote. Please. You know, this is setting the tone of how we want to see our city, not just in St. Louis, around this country. And I want to say, Sean, thank you so much. I look up to you. It's an honor. I'm starstruck right now. I'm trying to play cool. I'm starstruck. Oh, please, thank please. you for, no. for even talking to me and all the good work. And then I want to thank Miss Kim Youngblood, rock star. I mean, she's Absolutely. helped me a lot. And I want to say everyone at the Real Justice Pack, everyone has helped me. I don't want to say anybody's name, Chris, everybody. You know, I want to make sure I mm -hmm. give you guys the praise because without you guys, I wouldn't have my voice heard because this is the platform for a lowly prosecutor like myself to get it out to the people because the people need to hear us because a lot of times the media silence us with misinformation. So please, you know, we have, you guys spread the truth for us. It's not, you know, you guys also hold us accountable. So I just wanted you to know, thank you. And I appreciate you. And I want to continue to work with you. So thank you. Yeah, we thank you, Kim. Yeah, have a good night. And you our too. team is going to stay on and strategize a little bit about more ways we can support and, you, okay? And pray for me because I, they say in protest is going to be protesting me um, this weekend, the Trump protesters. So I'm praying for the city of St. Louis and I'm praying for all of us. So thank you. Yeah, we will pray for you, Kim. Thank you take you. care, okay? Appreciate yeah, appreciate thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. It's the pathway to freedom that's needed the North Hey everybody, I want to tell you about a brand new podcast that I love a lot, and it's not because there's a woman that I love who is the co-host, my dear wife, Ray, but she is co-hosting a brilliant, important, essential podcast called Woke at Work with Dr. Blanca Ruiz. It's an amazing podcast about women of color in the workplace 
and all of the unique challenges and opportunities and sophistications, and they have brilliant interviews, and they unpack the myriad of issues, what it really means to be a woman of color in leadership in the workplace, and so much more. You spell it W-O-C at work, W-O-C at work, women of color at work. Search it. It's on all of the platforms now. It's getting amazing reviews, and I want you to check it out. Break it down. The break, 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 the break